I'm still amazed by your your balls to ask Robin out. I'm just curious that day when you're on the show. Did was that something that crossed your mind in the middle? Uh, you know, as you walked in there. Hey, people bring that up all the time. It was almost like 20 years ago. I don't even. It's like it's a blur. I'm sure she doesn't remember either. Hello and welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch, sponsored by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis. Five locations, stlmasses.com is their website. Go there, check out those menus if you're driving through St. Louis. Maybe my next guest who's uh, here in St. Louis, maybe he'll go get some pasta, some, some toaster raviolis. But uh, I want to talk about, before you, you, know, you may notice, a new little look here. I was inspired by my Bob Costas interview and his Emmys, so I put my Emmys in the background. Jim Florentine is my guest. Jim, do you have any Emmys? Yeah, I have one. Congrats! What was it for? And I'm sure you went and accepted it, and I'm sure it was a very exciting day for you. No, it was I? Yeah, you know, I worked on a show with Bob Costas. You just brought him up on Inside the NFL. Oh yeah, we won for best uh, sports show, but also best comedy segment on a sports show. So I won an Emmy on that actual. Yeah, on it's HBO Inside the NFL. Yeah. Well, you should have it behind you. I know you're in a wonderful hotel here in St. Louis, so you don't bring your Emmys. Do you ever walk around with your Emmys and bring them around, your one Emmy? I do. I like to show them off. No, I don't. I used to keep it on, like, the, on my nightstand, so if I brought a girl back, that was the closer. They saw the Emmy. It's like my Mariana Rivera, you know what I mean? Like, they see the Emmy, like, all right, I this. Put on Enter Sandman, because that was his walk-in music. Exactly. Yeah, they walk in. Yeah, I put on Enter Sandman to the Emmy. But no, I just have it. But no, it was just... Yeah, you mentioned Bob Costas. I wonder, you know, the Emmy being on that show with him. He was real supportive of me, too, when I first got the gig, which is awesome. He's a great guy, man. He came to see me a bunch of times in St. Louis at the Funny Bone when I performed there and stuff. So he's I a did big not guy. know there was this, this background information with you and Bob. That's a, a, I, and I, I don't remember you being on Inside the NFL. I used to watch that all the time as well. So um, Yeah, I was on 2004 or five. Well, I was only lasted one season. I got booted off. I was too edgy for him. They said they wanted edgy. We want you to be edgy, you know, do all this crazy stuff, you know, and then they didn't want it at all. People that say they want edgy really don't want edgy. That's that's what I've learned. Yeah, they lured me in with that. I'm like, that's fine. All right, good. And then, uh, but it was great work, and I got to work with Dan Marino. I'm a huge Dolphin fan, so he was on the show at the time, you know, and Bob and all that stuff. So it was it was great. You know, it was fine. I only worked one year. Because I didn't want to censor myself and do all this lame stuff anyway, so it was better that we parted ways. Yeah. Um, well, you're here in St. Louis. You're doing some more stand-up. You're at the Funny Bone. If people see this, it's probably already happened, but you have some more gigs coming up in uh, New Jersey, and uh, that's next weekend, so you can take a look at jimflorentine.com for all of Jim's uh, exciting news. But you're releasing a YouTube special on uh, on Monday the 13th. This will probably drop right before that, so... Stand-up comedy on YouTube, that's the way, is that the way of the future now? It's just because you can put it on YouTube. You don't have to wait for someone to uh, release it. It's your, kind of your own business. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, look, it's for the guys that can't get on Netflix, basically. If you're a white male, there's like three slots for you. That's about it. So if you're not in that top three, you're done. So, and people, you know, everyone watches stuff on their phone anyway. So you're going to get more people watching it. I think if you put it, you know, obviously you want a Netflix deal, but you can't get that, which is limited. You put it on Netflix and people watch for free and you'll see a lot more people will see it. Are you doing some, some transgender material? That seems to get people talking. Of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> were, you, were you surprised by that, uh, that that's still almost a, a conversation even two months later? 
I don't even, I think it was all set up. I think it was all, uh, you know, publicity, you know what I mean? It's good publicity. All of a sudden there's a new Netflix special out. So you want to get some, something behind it, like people talking about it, but I don't know, you know, maybe there was three people offended, but they're not at the comedy crowd anyway. So, you know, that's the problem. You're, you're playing in front of people that don't like comedy that wouldn't go to a stand-up comedy show. They don't get it. So they don't come to the club. So of course they're not going to get it. It's like, why are you listen to those people? So I shouldn't comment on it because I haven't seen it. All I've heard is what what happened. And it sounded like he was paying tribute to someone at the very end. That was the whole point of the message. And it seems like that was the message that got lost by everybody, which is okay. the fun part of uh, 2020. comedy is. You pick apart things. You make fun of things. That's what it is. You know, it's not for everyone. That's why you don't, you know, stay home if you don't like it or whatever. Or don't watch it. So what is your comedy special? When did you shoot it? And uh, how long did it take you to kind of culminate the material and then realize that you had an hour in you? Yeah, probably like two and a half years or so. Probably took, usually takes about to get a full like hour of material. Shot it a few months back and, uh, you know, did a couple quick edits and it's ready to go. So I'm excited. And then you just start working on new material from there, a whole other set. Which I like doing. You know, as a comic, you just want to, I like throwing away all that stuff. You know, you'll keep some of it until you build up another 45 minutes, but you slowly drop that and add some new stuff in. And I like, always like working on new material and seeing if it's working and experimenting on stage. So, Tell me, so is there a lot of COVID material, I hope? Because people love to talk about masks and all that fun stuff. Not really. I think I make a couple quick references, but, you know, it's been done a million times. I realized early on, like doing shows in New York with like 10 other comics on the show, because everyone does like 10 or 15 minutes on shows in New York. It's not like a standard three person show. Everybody had their jokes about coronavirus. So it's just like, by the time you get on stage, it's like, okay, the crowd's like, please, we don't want to hear anymore. I, I, so I, I limit it. I, I reference it a couple little things, minimal, but not much. I'm a, I'm a big Curb Your Enthusiasm fan. And I heard Jeff Garland do a podcast where he talked about uh, before the season started, they, they asked him, is there any COVID material? And he said, we reference it once, and then it's a post-COVID world. And he said, COVID's not funny. There's nothing real funny material that people don't want to watch. We've been living it. It's terrible. Why, there's not much funny about it. Move on. And I think that's an interesting take because I don't want to watch Larry David. You know, I mean, I, I think he could make it funny, but I think that was an interesting He choice. could make it funny by not wearing a mask in a place and stuff like that. So he definitely could, but I get it, you know. Um, but, yeah, usually, you know, if, if something's done and everyone's doing the same material, it's like, move on you know so uh in the beginning that's all everybody talked about and that's what people wanted to hear but as we realize all right enough well we can find again jimflorentine.com is his website and you can find everything there and your your youtube channel i think is jim florentine comedy i believe i want to have all yeah, my little notes you, yeah youtube.com slash jim florentine comedy this the comedy special will be up there by the time you guys are watching this you watch it for free yeah, and just turn it on. YouTube's real easy to get. That's how people watch these. So uh, I'm sure after they watch you, maybe they'll come over here and we can have like a post session about your uh, show. But you're still doing your podcast uh, with Barstool Sports. I listen to a little bit of that. Still just angry at the world. I love that. I love your take. But I also love when you look at awful Facebook posts, which is also on your YouTube channel. Uh, just tell us a little bit about how it's going for the, with the podcast, working with Barstool. And it's just you in a room kind of just being able to vent. And that's, it's, it seems cathartic for you. Yeah, I mean, Barstool's great, a great company to work for. They don't kowtow to anybody. They're always, people are always trying to take shots at them, like whatever. Dave Portnoy doesn't give a fuck, which I love. You know, he just fights right back, which most people don't. They just go, oh, sorry, and then, you know, 
Um, yeah, I do two podcasts a week on there. It's basically fans sending stuff that on social media is dumb stuff that people post, and I make fun of it. And there's a ton of dumb stuff that people post. I say you, you probably know, have way more, more, way more material than two hours a week, I would assume. But you, you, you oh, filter. Yeah, I got uh, folders and folders and emails of stuff that people send in. They know what would work for the podcast. A lot of people making up stories. There's a lot of you know, my five year old kid said that you know, you know how smart my kid said something about uh, you know transgender people deserve the same rights as as regular people. And I was so proud, I cried. But, uh, five years old? You sure? <laughs> Because the parents just want to go, hey, listen, you know, he said that because I'm the parent. So it's really nothing to do with the five-year-old. I just want, you know, I'm teaching my kid to love everybody. It's just such, and, and then parents see that and they go, well, I got to make up my own story about how smart my kid is. And it's only because I'm the parent. And I call that bullshit out because you could know it's, you know, it's not true. I, I wanted. I see a few things that you're up to. I, I, you were working on or part of an Anthony, Anthony, Andrew Dice Clay special, right? Are, are you part of a, a Dice um, uh, documentary? Tell me a little bit about that. And um, again, I was reading a little bit about you. That was your guy, right? This is the guy that got you into comedy. Tell me a little bit about this yeah. documentary and just your your love of Dice. Yeah, I don't know. I know they're doing a doing a Dice documentary, and all his friends. They, you know. Uh, they want us to tell stories about them and all that stuff. And my story was, you know, basically I saw him perform before I even do comedy. And I saw him do like seven minutes on Rodney Dangerfield and the HBO special. I was like, man, that's what I want to do. You know, with the leather jacket and the dirty jokes. And there's almost like a rock star up there. I'm like, that's cool. It took me a while to get up the balls, get up on stage, but he was the inspiration of me saying that I want to be a stand-up comic. So, and then I wound up later years later being friends with him and opening for him. I'm still friends with him to this day. So, um, you know, it's, it's a good story, you know, for me just to, you know, hang out with him and, and open for him was always my dream. Just, you know, definitely got me into comedy and stuff, which is great. So it's documented at work and I don't know when it's going to come out or whatever, but I'm sure it's going to be good. It's got a good story. As I think about him, he was he wasn't original. I mean, when I have comedians on, we talk about Sam Kinison. No one has done what Sam's done. Uh, I'm going to ask you about Norm Macdonald in a second. But it, Dice, you know, was almost too dirty, and it didn't it didn't last for him. He was selling out stadiums, and then it just sort of went away. I don't understand. Well, he, was the, he was the first guy to get canceled. If you think about That's it, true. that you know, the women's groups came after him as soon as his movie went in the movie theater. It like went number one the first week. And then by the second week, it was pretty much out of theaters. The women's, you know, the women's groups were like protesting. He's making gay jokes and he's anti-women and they just took it out of the theaters. He had like a three picture deal that like got canceled and nobody wanted to work with him anymore. But he was the first guy pretty MTV banned him because he cursed or on there doing his nursery rhyme. So, you know, uh, and then he just laid low for a while and then made a comeback. And now he's doing Woody Allen movies, Entourage. He's all over the place. Dude, you know, he's a great actor. He was in A Star is Born. He played Lady, Ga Lady Gaga's dad. So, you know, he came all the way back around again, which is great. Well, this, you talked about canceling. I, I was listening to a radio show. They all went to see Bill Burr. He came through St. Louis, played the Fox Theater. And um, I like this radio show. But th this comment has, st has stuck with me. This, this woman on there who I enjoy, I, I believe we sort of have kind of the same uh, thoughts. But she said at one point, you know, Bill Burr can be uncomfortable. He does that on purpose. It's sort of his comedy, right? I mean, that would be what you think. She goes, and I was kind of, I, I was afraid to laugh. I, I didn't know if I should be laughing. And I'm like, well, then don't go, right? I mean, if you yeah. don't know if you should, then don't. 
If you have a problem, she didn't say she had a problem with Bill Burr. She knew what she was getting into. But the fact that someone says that on a radio show or, or thinks that out loud, maybe they don't believe what they're saying, it pissed me off. I was like, laugh. If you think it's funny, laugh. You don't have to be afraid to laugh. You're in a safe spot. Everyone went and bought a ticket to that person's con They know what they're getting into. That, that, that's what bothers me about today's comedy. Well, people are so trained to be, you know, not laugh because they'll lose their job, they'll lose this, that. So they're so trained to be, a, you know, pretend they're offended by everything that they get in that mindset and they can't even get out of it at the comedy show. I have to remind the crowd sometimes. I'm like, listen, you know, I'll say something, they'll like groan. And I'll say, listen, I already got the job here. I'm not getting fired. I know the owner. I'm good. I go, and nobody knows you people. It's dark in here. So laugh. You're not going to get fired if you laugh at this. If anything, I'm responsible. And I don't care. So, you know, you almost have to tell a crowd sometimes like that. But yeah, you know, the comics who've gotten the business to push buttons, like that's what we're supposed to do is find that edge. Maybe you go over the line, you know what I mean? And go, okay, I got to go. That went a little too far. Let me go back a little bit. Like that was always how we came up as comics to do that, to push the push buttons, push the envelope when you're doing stand up. You know, so now, you know, Bill's got his own built in audience. But yeah, I could see people because Bill loves to push, you know, go over the line. Maybe goes too far or whatever. That's why he's got, that's why he's selling on arenas because people want to hear that stuff and they like it. I think you know Bill a little bit. I don't know if you have had conversations in the, is it worrisome though at some point one thing that you say, I mean, he went on SNL, got like, he did his act. His, it's funny. It's, it's obviously comedy and people got a little, you know, worked up. Um, how worrisome is it for you guys when it's very possible something gets picked up and it's, that might be the end of your career. Do you think about that? Or it's like, screw it. I, this is what I do. And in Bill's case, I mean, he, he clearly doesn't, it's not affecting him because like you said, he's selling things out, but maybe for you, you know, you're at the funny bone. Someone gets a cell phone out, you puts it out there. Oh, Jim Florentine said this. And is it worrisome about this cancel culture for, for no, I think it's more worrisome for Bill because Bill does movies. He's in a star Wars, right? TV show or something or whatever. I don't know. You know, he's got the F is for family show on Netflix. I think he's more at risk of pushing, going over the line. Me, it's like, what are they going to take from me? There's nothing. You know what I mean? Nobody cares. Like, I remember Corolla, Adam Corolla made fun of transgender people on his podcast like six, seven years ago. And they tried to come after him and take away, but he owns his podcast. He's like, I, what are you going to take from me? I own this whole network. I got dot coms, you know, as advertisers. They don't care. And they couldn't do anything. And they can't really do it. You know, Bill's got more to lose. But Bill knows he can always, Bill's a comic at heart. He loves performing stand-up. He can always play in arenas and big theaters the rest of his life, the rest of his career, even if he says something where Hollywood say, well, you're not going to be in any movies. He already knows. I got my fan base. I'm good. I think that's the way he thinks, and that's why he doesn't care, which is great. Me, they're not gonna, I'm not getting any Hollywood roles at this point, and I'm fine with it. I'm good. I'm, I'm out of that scene. I don't want to be in that scene. I don't want to kiss anybody's ass. So, you know, I'll say whatever the fuck I want to say, and, you know, Barstool's not going to fire me. They love that. They, so give us more, they say. Give me more. Yeah, give us more. We want more controversy. Yeah. Uh, we, and I mentioned uh, uh, Norm McDonald, and uh, it really affected me. I didn't realize, I mean, I was a huge fan, probably my favorite comedian. Watched him from his days, you know, starting on Letterman, and I was like, who's this guy? And he shows up on 
SNL and then, of course, then Rocket Ship of, of just how hilarious he was. I didn't know how well you knew him, but did you take it hard as well, or was, was it a guy that you kind of looked up to at all? Or tell me a little bit about your your, your no, feelings. I, mean, I wasn't, you know, I, I don't think I ever, I never met Norm before. I mean, I was kind of a fan, but I didn't know. Like, I don't watch, I never watched Saturday Night Live. I was always working on Saturday night, so I was never a big fan. I'm not a big fan of sketch comedy anyway. I always liked him. You know, he's always his dry sense of humor when, you know, you see some interviews. But then when he passed away, I started looking up all the stuff on YouTube. He's got so much stuff out there. And it was so good. I'm like, man, did I miss the boat on this? I mean, my, my nephew is like 23. He's like, Norm McDonald's my favorite. I'm like, yeah, I like him. He's like, oh, man, you don't know about this? I go, no. And he's always telling me about him. I go, no, I like him. I respect him. And he doesn't give a shit. But um, when I found out all his stuff, like after he passed away, I'm like, holy shit, man, was this guy a genius? Yeah, I just think that's sad that it took him to die for everyone to see the, the clip at, at Conan. I had never seen the clip where he just is so quick with uh, talking about the Carrot Top movie. And then I've, I mean, I've seen the other stuff where he, you know, the, the, the moth joke. Um, I've, I've listened to many podcasts about him. It's just kind of sad that. You know, I don't think he even cared about having people love him. That was part of what was great about him. He's like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to tell jokes. Like he did the Bob Saget roast and read from a, 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 a you know a book from 1947 and, and thought it was going to suck, and it was hilarious because he did it. Yeah. You know, it's just the whole, and that's that Sam Kinison and and that you know when we talk about these guys that have been uh, originals. I, you kind of broke on Howard Stern, right? I mean, we always kind of have this conversation about Stern. What is is Joe Rogan kind of turning that page to to where comedians can break? Because when you when you hear a guy on Joe Rogan, it, it could possibly, you know, start their career. Howard's not really doing the the young comedians anymore, and some of these guys aren't even young, like Drew Lynch and a lot of these names I've never heard of. I'm like, oh, that guy's kind of funny. Is, is that kind of where it's gone? Is it is Joe the guy that kind of people now look to as maybe where Howard was in the early 2000s? I think so. Yeah. I mean, Joe's broke a lot of comics, you know, and, uh, you make a couple appearances on there. And next thing you know, people love that stuff. And you see the views he gets on YouTube and, and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's the guy basically, you know, he was the West coast guy. Now he's obviously in Texas, but yeah, I mean, he's, the, you know, launched a bunch of comics careers and he, he loves comedy, he loves comics. He loves supporting and stuff. He does a lot of, you know, great things for comics behind the scenes that people don't even know about and stuff. So, yeah, he's a good dude. Um, no, but he, he's definitely the modern-day Howard Stern, absolutely. I always think about your time on there because it was where I heard of you first. I heard of Greg Fitzsimmons, Craig Gass, Artie Lang, and, and I'm always, it always makes me – I'm always interested in those days for you when, when you went in there and, and it sort of helped your career. Just What was that like the next day after you come off that show? Did, was, it, was it that weird phone ringing off the hook or – because they were playing the Crank Yanker stuff and the terrorizing telemarketers was really what they started playing. Um, was it was it that quote overnight success at all for you, or did it take a few times on there? Uh, yeah, it took a few times, but I just remember, like, you know, you couldn't believe how many people uh, listened to the show. Like, I had no idea, you know. I'm in uh, my little comedy world, living in, like, a little apartment and stuff, and then I'm getting in touch. People get in touch with me that I went to high school with and grammar school and oh my God, I heard you on there in college and all that stuff, you know? So it was like, man, I knew I listened. I just, you know, I knew he had a big audience. I just didn't know how much he reached. And then, you know, once you start doing the road, you know, all of a sudden people are like, oh, I know that guy. He was on Howard Stern and they'll come to see you. So yeah, I didn't know it was going to be that big, that fast, like that, that much power and that people would want to come to a comedy club just to be associated with anybody that was on the show. 
It really did happen that way because you guys started rolling through here, and I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to see Craig, I want to see Art, I want to see Jim, and you guys had this whole kind of this whole traveling group. Well, Artie, you know, Artie Lang bringing me out on tour, you know, we were both, you know, that was a big thing because Artie became a rock star on that show. And, you know, me and Artie were friends. So he's like, dude, I want you to open for him. I'm like, great. So we're performing in front of, you know, a thousand people a night in these theaters, which is insane. So that's how people got to know me by me opening for Artie, which was great, you know. Any, uh, any conversations with Artie? He's back doing his podcast. Have you talked to him and seen how he's doing? No, I mean, I, I did his podcast. I don't know. Like, we just did a Zoom thing, and that was it. So um, it seems like he's doing okay. He's doing a couple podcasts a week. So, you know, he's a good dude, man. He just had some demons, and, you know, hopefully he'll get back out there at some point. Sounds like he's still he's a hard. Funny guy, man. He's still huh? he's still hard to get a hold of, though. I hear I, that's what I'm understanding. You still have to do the oh, yeah, through the yeah. man. <laughs> it's, it's impossible. Yeah, that's why I don't even try. I don't even know. But I, you know, me and Artie were always friends, and you know, once he gets if he gets back out there, I'm sure we'll be doing shows together and hanging and stuff. But whatever he's got to do to get better, whatever he's doing, seems to be working. So that's good. Good for him, and he's at least resurfaced doing the podcasts. And I know I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but Howard has sort of changed the way his show is. It's, you know, kind of interview driven and it's from home. Do you have any you know, contacts over there? Do you ever check in with those guys? And I know you've got a new, I think, Terrorizing Telemarketers coming out, maybe a place to debut it. But do you, do you get a chance to talk to him or get on that show and have any discussion? No, I always, I, I keep in touch with everybody there. I don't have Sirius anymore. I haven't heard the show in years. I mean, I do a show on Sirius on the Hard Rock Channel on Ozzy's Boneyard. You know, so I'm up there. It used to be up there all the time. I mean, it's just starting to let people back in the building. But I see everybody, and I'm still friends with all those guys and keep in touch and stuff. Um, but, you know, with, you know, with the shutdown, like, everybody's just, you know, still basically working at home. Especially in New York City, they barely let you in a building still. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm still amazed by your your balls to ask Robin out. I'm just curious that day when you were on the show. Did, was that something that crossed your mind in the middle, uh, you know, as you walked in there? Um, because it, it, it worked out for fun, you know, for a while there, right? I mean, tell me a little bit about that that day going in there. I, I, people bring that up all the time. It was almost like 20 years ago. I don't even, I don't remember. I really don't. It's just like, it's a blur. It's like, that was eons ago. I'm sure she doesn't remember either. You know, but, you know, it was, it was, look, it, it was a great time on the show, especially when we moved over to Sirius. You could say whatever you want. They had the Sibian. I was in there when Jenna Jameson sat on the Sibian. I mean, it was insane. I was in when Jeff the Vomit guy, girls would come in and puke on him. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like crazy. I, I remember that stuff, you know, but uh, I don't know. I mean, look, it's, it's all good, you know. It all worked out for everyone. I was going to say, it was a long time ago, but I mean, that was a major storyline on that show. It was, it was but it's like, I, you know, I don't, you know, I can't, my mind doesn't go back that far on a lot of things. I remember things here and there, you know, but uh, no, you know, it was, it was fun. Just, just be a part of that show and be a part of that crew. You know, I was really good friends with Casey. You know, we used to hang out all the time and stuff. We became good friends and stuff. Stutter and John for a while, we toured until, you know, he left the show. So, you know, and then, you know, you know, I forget all that stuff and John's moved on and Casey's doing his own thing. So it's all good. We're well, still alive. That's the way I look at it. You know, Yeah. what is Casey doing? We text, but I'm still not sure what he's up to. I think he's doing some sort of radio show podcast some kind of radio thing. He's got some radio network or something that he's doing producing shows. So, you know, 
He's doing all right. I see him once in a while, like every couple of years, I'll perform in Long Island. He'll come out to a show. Now, I mentioned the new terrorizing telemarketers, right? Is that is there a new disc coming out, or did, did I read that correctly? At some point, it will. But yeah, I'm working on it. You know, it's, it takes time. You don't know when. You know, you got You can't. There's no set time when it's going to be ready because people got to call you. So if they don't call, I can't. You know. There's nothing I could do. I gotta wait until they call. You're just sitting there on with play record ready to hit, and then you're like, "All right, here we go." Yeah, I mean, I I just, I just got a house phone hooked back up after you know friggin' I'd never, you know, and, and just said because you know it's better audio on the house phone, and then you know the phone started ringing as soon as I plugged it in. It was crazy. What's the minutia? You know, I was gonna say, what's the minutia on that? So do you have some sort of bit planned in your head? And then you get the telemarketer, and you're like, all right, here's what I'm, I'm ready. You know, like these are all sort of mapped out and now here comes the call. And now, all right, I'm, I've, you know, worked sometimes, on this. Or sometimes I'll just add live it. If I hear a certain word then I just know, okay, listen, I'm going to go in this direction. You know, there's one I know that I was working on that probably the guy goes, uh, Hey, uh, I want to hook you up to an insurance agent. I just have to get a couple of questions. So you have 10 minutes to talk to him. And as soon as I heard that, he said that like three seconds in a call, I go, I don't have 10 minutes. I have like five. Is there any way you could do it in five? And then it just goes, it's just chaos after that. I can't, I don't have 10 minutes. I'm just asking, why can't he do it in five? Why can't he talk faster? If he talks really fast, can he do it? In, so I just sometimes, but then other times like, right, let's plan this thing where you're going to pick up and then we'll just mess with the person. But they, you know, they have to participate on the other end. Like if they're not, if they don't react, it's not a good call. We need someone to get upset, get angry, yell at us be confused. That's when it's a good call. So they're really the star on the call. If you can get under their skin. It's, it's hard because they all work in these, you know, sweatshops and they have to, you know, get these calls in in three minutes and get the deal or move on. Right. It seems like a different type of uh, atmosphere these days, thankfully. Yeah. But I think if they, they just, they're happy that someone's on the phone and stayed on the phone when I'm out curve. Potentials. I'll deal with it which I have that advantage. Have you been part of this, uh, the Crank Yankers uh, reboot here a little bit? Are you doing anything for them? Yeah, yeah, I've been on the last couple of seasons. It came back after, what, like 12 years, which is crazy. Puppets doing, oh, yeah, puppets doing funny pranks. I mean, who, who knew that this would continue, but it seems like yeah. a, a winning formula for Jimmy Kimmel and his group, right? I think at like 2007 was the last season we did. And then 2019 out of the blue comes back. So we did two seasons so far. And I'm, I'm, I think we're going to do another one. I'm not sure. I guess they'll let me know, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, look, if you can make money, make a prank phone calls, that's that shit that I did when I was a kid. Like it really is the American dream. Were you, you were like a creator, right? Jimmy, it was Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla's kind of production company. They just sort of kind of came to you because they'd heard you, right? That's how that worked? Yeah. Yeah, it was their, yeah, they were, uh, yeah, it was their idea to do the prank calls and recreate with puppets. They just picked me to be one of the guys on there doing the calls. But yeah, and they, they still do the show. Jimmy still does it. No matter how busy he is, Adam still does it. So pretty much the same crew that was from back in the day is back. That's and it's gonna be kind of cool to be with that. That's a that's some group of Tracy Morgan, Wanda Sy. I mean, we got Kevin Neal, all these big names, and be part of that group and know that you're a, a huge contributor. I mean, that's got to be fun just to see those names next to yours, right? Yeah, Sarah Silverman. You know, like yeah, I know it was. I was pretty much like the only unknown when I first got the gig. You know, but uh, no, it's great, and it's great that you know we're still doing it to this day. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't know.
you know, who knows what TV shows, if they come back or not, you know. But, uh, you know, just that we did two more seasons was great. He's got a couple more minutes with Jim. He's at the Funny Bone, and then he's in uh, Point Pleasant Beaches, New Jersey. I had to look it up, but that's next weekend, and you can check jimflorentine.com. YouTube, check him out on YouTube as his special has dropped, and you can see uh, him doing an hour of material. Are you you worried about this MLB lockout? I know you're a big Giants fan. Uh, How pissed off were you that you had to play the Dodgers in the first round? What? How did how did this season treat you? And are you worried about? Ba- I'm a little pissed off at baseball, Jim. I got to be honest. I don't like it. I, I'm sick of the slowness and the the eggheads taking over. I'm not real happy. And now we've got this this fight. Yeah, I mean it was a great season for the Giants, but to lose, it's almost like you don't even want them to get that far. I mean, you win 107 games, which was crazy. And then I knew playing the Dodgers, I'm like, I don't want to play them. I, I, if they would have beat the Dodgers, they would have beat the Braves. They would have won the World Series. They were right. match up well against the Braves, but you know, I just knew I was telling my kid that he's getting into baseball and then the Giants. I'm like, we don't want to play the Dodgers. And just that, you know, five game series, we just ran out of gas after after a while. But I mean, look, I never liked Gabe Kapler, especially as a Phillies manager, but then he came over and it, the first year I, I hated him, but the guy won me over. Like every move he made was great. You know, who knows? Now the lockout, so who knows when they're going to get back. It'll probably be a week before the season starts, you know, and then all these guys are going to get signed because I, I don't think they're going to sign anybody, right, during the lockout? No, can't, can't do anything. It's kind of – it's boring. Yeah, I, I know. So um, I got back into baseball big time the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, they're just fighting over millions. I don't – you know, it's 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 stupid. You know, so I don't know. I mean, Giants got to sign a bunch of guys. I mean, Buster Posey retiring, that hurt. But I knew he, didn't, he wasn't sure how long he wanted to play. I think he was going to be a Hall of Famer. He should be. You know, um, but hopefully they get it. They got to resolve. It'd be nice if they got it resolved in like February, but that's not going to happen. I'm sure there's going to be no spring training. You know, maybe they'll take some games off and do two weeks of spring training. It's just annoying. It's like, come on. You know, everybody's hurting out there for money, and you guys are bickering over billions of dollars. We can't relate to you. You know what I mean? You're hitting a bait. You're you're having fun out there hitting a baseball. And but we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, and the game is is boring. I don't know if we've talked about this. We share the same birthday, August eighteenth. Happy birthday, uh, Leo! That's my kid's birthday too. He's got the same birthday. That's a great day. 818. What yeah. a wonderful day. Yeah, August 18. Uh, you talked about Ozzy's Boneyard channel on Sirius, um, which takes me to just one music question. Did you watch the Beatles get back? Were you a Beatles fan? Did you see the whole eight-hour documentary? Do you care about that? I like talking to people about it. Never a big Beatles fan. No interest in watching it. <laughs> I hear Yoko was a pain in the ass. She was in every scene sitting next to John. You could, And the people like, this is confirmed now why you know she be, she broke up the Beatles. Well, you should see there's no, some... That's like, it's like bringing your wife to work. Who does that? You know, whenever like a comic has a girlfriend or wife, it's like, well, you want to bring your friends. Like, hey, man, this is my job. I'm bringing you to work, so fucking behave. <laughs> I mean, don't be yelling at the manager at a comedy club. It's like, this is my job. I wouldn't come to your job drunk, yelling at your manager. Like, you'd be embarrassed. The people don't get that. And Yoko's basically in the fucking studio sitting next to him. It's like, get out of there. Let those guys create, you know? 
She does seem quiet. She just sits there. But there are times where they're just rehearsing and she starts doing her crazy, you know, avant-garde art music. And it's like, oh, my God, this is... How did Paul deal with this? Is what I always want to use. What a, what a scene. She's there. It's like, what are you doing there? You know, you want to be on the other side of the glass and watch and be bored. That's fine. But to be in the room with the guys as they're trying to create, it's like, why? Why Was anybody else's wives there? I didn't see it. But I know that people are saying Yoko was in like every. And you could tell when John was alone, he was finally like, ah, oh, I got to get away from her. <laughs> well, it was his idea to bring her in. But yeah, it, it's. Uh, yeah. I, okay. You, you, it's entertaining. Um so you got the YouTube special, jimflorentine.com, 2022, you know, any, any plans, any new plans? You got the podcast, you got so much going on. Any, anything that you're thinking about for 2022? And, and how's it going on the road? Is it, is it sort of back to normal or are we still a little, you know, 80%? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's pretty much back to normal. I don't know. You know, it's the wintertime. Any cold weather places, numbers are going to be up a little, you know, who knows with masks and all that bullshit. But I think it's pretty much close to... You know, you go to the warm states now where the numbers are down because they're not going through the wave like the cold weather. There's plenty of work there. So there's enough work out there. And uh, no, it's 2022, just, you know, doing the stand-up, doing the podcast. They're basically being my own boss, which I love. Yeah, I you... can work when I want, do what I want, say what I want, dress the way I want. So I love that freedom of having that freedom. No, that is what everybody strives for. I strive to retire at 55 and then be able to do that. I have to do, I have a real full-time job. This is my fun kind of hobby, but my goal is 55, do that. I don't know what I would do, maybe a production company or something, but that you are, you're living the the life the way it's supposed to be lived, Jim. Congrats. Yeah. I mean, you never know. You don't know if it's, you're going to make it or whatever, but at some point, you know, you just keep plugging away and see what happens, you know? So I'm glad I didn't start comedy now with all this, censorship going on if i was three years into my career i'd probably get out i'm like i can't deal with this i'm pretty much grandfathered in and nobody really gives a fuck which is great so that's the way i got it yeah and then we we did cover that and it's a scary time and hopefully this is just a bump in the road maybe these are little bumps in the road you know these happen these little these little influx you know inflections and then people like stop saying hey this is stupid let's get back to you know let's have some fun like I said before, those people are not coming to a comedy club. So the people, the thing is, people aren't walking out of comedy clubs now being offended. I always ask the managers or the club owners, I go, are more people complaining, writing letters, frigging this, what their money was? Like, no, not at all. Those people know to stay away. Like you could research any comic and see what their comedy is about. So they're not even coming, which is great. So it's really not happening. And people that come to a comedy club really want to hear stuff like, please entertain me. I'm so sick of just, you know, walking on eggshells about everything in life. So that's good for us as, as stand-up comics. Yes. Well, you keep doing what you do. I appreciate you coming on. I always let the, the, the guest have the last word. Is there anything you wanted to mention that I didn't mention over here? Um, no. We got it. Hopefully the Rams get a team back. Uh, we're, that's over. That's, we, we have, yeah, I know. So the NFL just gave you guys hush money, and then, okay, and then everything goes away. I, for one, don't need the NFL anymore. I was in my 20s when they showed up. I, they left pretty much in my early, my late 30s. Uh, with two Super Bowls, a Super Bowl win, greatest show on turf. I, I can't imagine it being any better than that. And that happened in the first six years. So who need? They're never going to have that in LA, in my opinion. We had the, we had a, we had a team that had a nickname. That's any. How many teams have nicknames, right? Like the the Purple People Eaters, the the Steel Curtain, greatest show on turf. I mean, that's all we needed. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And then, you know, 
screw them. You know, they just take the money and run and then just abandon cities and hold them hostage and all that stuff. But we'll see what they do with that big lump sum. Where does that money go that they paid St. Louis to keep, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like, how about you distribute that against all the fans that would come to games? Maybe give them a piece of that. Please. But they won't. No, of course yeah. not. No, 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 no chance. No, they're fighting. They're already fighting over it, believe it or not. There's three groups that the money was given to, and they're fighting over what they're going to do with it. How? I mean, this... Right. It's exactly what we all we all expected that here. That's how we lost the team because we couldn't even get our shit together to keep the team here, and now right. we're gonna fight over where the money. It's Jim. Be careful in St. Louis. That's all I'm gonna say. Stay maybe stay in the hotel room, watch a lot of Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. Thanks. All right, Jim Florentine. He's awesome. I thank him again, and you can obviously check him out on YouTube. Uh, go to his channel. And uh, check out his special. It's, I'm sure it's going to be great. Jim's a funny man. I appreciate him coming on all the time. And I thank you for watching. Here's the pitch. Uh, I'm your YouTube friend Brad, and we'll see you next time.